This morning, I want to speak on the subject confidence in Christ. Confidence in Christ. And we'll be looking at Psalm chapter 11. And as you think about uh, confidence in Christ, and you think about the upcoming election, the civil and societal unrest, the rampant confusion, the pandemic, all the things that are going on, I want to urge you to be confident in Christ your Lord. And I want to urge you to be confident in Christ in the context of potentially being pressed to flee, pressed to fear, and pressed to forfeit all the hope you might have in Jesus and his desire to expand his kingdom through you. Do you ever feel like giving up because of the overwhelming presence and power of evil? Do you ever desire to just run away because there either is or at least seems to be so much opposition against you personally and against believing in Jesus and following his example? There's so much suffering Maybe you've even considered adopting some evil ways because righteousness just doesn't seem to pay and it doesn't seem to be as effective. And suffering for righteousness doesn't seem to be worth the effort or the pain. Perhaps deserting to the other side is not your problem. That's not where you're weak. Maybe you think it's just better to mind your own business and keep your faith to yourself. Well, all of these things at some level are spoken about in Psalm 11. And I'd invite you to turn there with me. Uh, This is a Psalm of David, a man who knew a great deal about suffering and being on the run. David had to learn daily what it meant to be confident in the Lord, confident in Christ, in the face of so many dangerous and wicked people. Uh, This psalm, in view of all the dangerous and wicked people and evils in this world, says to uh, the faithless, call to run and hide, because there's always people saying you should just run away and hide, But this psalm says to those calls to run and hide, do you know how foolish and crazy you sound right now? David's undaunted confidence in the Lord and his ways is the kind of faith you need whenever you are confronted by faithless, dangerous, and wicked people, and suffering in this world. Psalm 11, let's let's read the psalm. It's a psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Confidence in Christ. David begins this psalm with a bold affirmation of his faith in the Lord. In the Lord I take refuge. Are you making that bold affirmation today? David put his foot down. And this affirmation of faith and confidence in the Lord, in Christ, is followed by a question he poses to those in Israel who were terrified of confronting evil and wicked people. David says, David asks, How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? You might think of David's confidence in the Lord when Saul and Israel were shaking in their sandals before Goliath and the Philistine army and telling David he could not defeat the giant. You can hear him saying these words in that episode. You may also think back even further to Joshua and Caleb and their confidence in the Lord when the ten Israelite spies told them and all Israel that running away and hiding was a far better plan than entering the promised land. You can hear David, Joshua, and Caleb saying to the doubters of their day, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? This question conveys astonishment that after all the Lord has done in history, after all he has done to prove himself and the ways he has proven himself, there are actually still people who doubt his power to save, that doubt his power to use his people, to use you to extend his kingdom, and who doubt his power through you to overcome evil with good. Are you more inclined to run for cover in the face of evil or seek to confront and uncover evil and overcome it with good? If you believe that Christians aren't confrontational, perhaps you need to reread your New Testament. The language of this question is key. How can you say to my soul... My soul, if in the Lord you have taken refuge, the security of your soul is guaranteed and unassailable. 
Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Your soul has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are in Jesus' hand and the Father's hand, and none can pluck you out. Jesus said, Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Paul told Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You whom he predestined, Paul said, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. He speaks as if it's already done. The glorification even is already done. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing and no one can ever separate your soul or you from God's love in Christ Jesus. In Christ you can never be lost. Years ago I was visiting a member in the hospital and could not find their room. The nurse asked me, are you lost? To which I said, my dear, I once was lost, but now I'm found. But I do need directions to the right room. You can tell yourself that next time you miss your exit and get turned around on the road. You're not lost. You just need directions. This call... ironically, from the community of faith for David and you to flee like a bird to your mountain is a call to isolate yourself within the faith community and not engage with the culture and society around you. It is a call for self-preservation, a call away from cross-bearing, away from self-denial, for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. It is a call to retreat. What Jack Miller at one time defined as being ingrown. When a congregation or a person turns in on themselves and loses sight of the kingdom mission. John Bunyan points out in Pilgrim's Progress that Christian did not receive any armor from discretion, piety, and charity to protect his back. Because Christians don't retreat. They fight and endure to the end, even to the death if necessary. Even when Jesus counseled his disciples to flee to the next town when persecuted in one town, he was not calling them to run and hide but to waste no time witnessing to closed people, but to keep knocking on doors, so to speak, until they found other people willing to hear the good news. In the same way, Jesus calls you not to be discouraged when people shut down your witness. Just start a conversation with someone else. David tells us in Psalm 11, verse 2, the reason he was asked to flee 
he was told to fix his gaze on the wicket, bending their bow, setting their arrow to the string in order to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. David was not unaware of the wicket, but David had fixed his gaze on the Lord. You must do the same. No matter how many foes you might have, no matter how dangerous and antagonistic people and society as a whole are toward you, toward Christ, toward Christianity, toward Jesus' kingdom, your eyes must remain fixed on Jesus, not on his and your opponents. When Peter took his eyes off of Christ and placed them on the waves, he began to sink into the water. In many ways, however, God's people have not even got out of the boat. Commentators have pointed out that David is very specific in describing what the wicked are doing. Much like the lamenter in our past series described the sufferings of Judah in the book of Lamentations. The point of being so descriptive, the point of describing the details of the dangers, is that it underlines for you and others the sufficiency of Christ to deal with each of those specific dangers. And his infinite power over whatever evil, whatever danger, whatever wicked person you might encounter. It should be pointed out that the wicked shoot in the dark, probably because they know their deeds are evil and will do everything to hide their identity and the truth about themselves. Jesus said the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. That is what those who don't believe and are opposed to Christ and his kingdom desire. They want to put out the light, put out your light, because your witness and your lifestyle, they're simply too painful to hear and to see. Because your witness and your lifestyle condemns their conscience and makes them guilty. That said, it needs to also be highlighted that the wicked attack those who are upright in heart. These believers in the Lord, believers in Christ, are not attacked because they are jerks who have no people skills, but because they are upright in heart. They are faithful followers of the Lord. They're actually very loving and pleasant people. They behave like you should, and that is why the wicked can't stand them, because it exposes the fact that they're living in a way they shouldn't. The wicked are like Cain, who murdered Abel, his brother, because Abel and his works were righteous and Cain's weren't. David's question, how can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain, is challenged by the question at the end of verse 3. 
If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Prior to this question, um, the wicked are seeking to destroy the upright in heart. This question about what the righteous can do reveals that the foundations being threatened are the righteous themselves or the society and culture that has resulted and been shaped and influenced by the witness and walk of the righteous, those who are righteous by faith in Christ. You are the aroma of Christ, the aroma of God, aroma of Christ to God, to those who are perishing, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and following. To, to those who are perishing, to the unbelieving world, you are the aroma of death. Through your faithful walk in Christ, the lost world is compelled to see how doomed they are. Through your life in Christ, the lost world is meant to constantly behold the steady collapse and disintegration of living outside of Christ and seeking to build a civil society without Him. It can never succeed. David's answer to this despairing question, what can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed, is answered by recognizing the Lord, reverencing the Lord, relying on the Lord, resembling the Lord, and resting in the Lord. And you see these things played out in verses 4 through 7. According to the end of verse 7, the Lord's great design and aim for your life is that you would behold His face, that you would rest in the Lord, you'd rest with the Lord. In order to realize this goal, you must first, like David, recognize the Lord. You see this in verse 4. There is no reason to flee from the wicked, fear the wicked, or forfeit to the wicked your hope in Jesus and bearing witness to him, because the Lord is in his holy temple. The temple was the place where the Lord met with his people, was reconciled to them and restored them to himself. What can you do when attacked by the wicked? When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? They can recognize that God's agenda, His great purpose, His aim is Emmanuel, to be with His people through the sacrifice at this time done in the temple, the sacrifice done in Jesus. For us now, Jesus is the true temple. This is the message of good news that the wicked need to hear in order to study war no more. The message of the gospel is what the wicked need to hear from the righteous when the foundations are threatened, when they're trying to destroy the very society 
that God wants to build through the gospel. The gospel is the message that's needed. It's the gospel message that the wicked need to hear. It's the only thing that will change a wicked person into a righteous person is the message about the righteous way that God declares unrighteous people to be righteous by faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who bore our unrighteousness and exchanges it for his own righteousness. We must recognize that the Lord is in his holy temple. He's there, present with his people. Jesus is the true temple, and when he came, he came to destroy that temple, his own body, and raise it up again so that you and I might be a brand new temple, that he might live in us and work in us and work through us The Lord is in you. The Lord is in his holy temple, in the church, his headquarters on earth, so that we would be outward-facing, proclaiming the gospel message to a dead world, a world dead in sin, doomed to destruction and damnation. We must recognize that the Lord is in his temple. He's inside of you. And we must recognize that in order for others to make it to heaven, the Lord's throne is in heaven. There's no way to get to heaven except coming through the temple, the true temple, Jesus Christ. And there's no way to talk about the temple and God's throne in heaven paired together like this without bringing in and recognizing the call to prayer. We're called to pray and rely on the Lord. Only through the temple, through Christ, can we ascend the Lord's hill and stand in his holy place and behold his wonderful face. And the only way any wicked out there will ever come to know Jesus is when we stand in his place, as it were, and speak on his behalf. Second, uh, you must reverence the Lord, not only recognize the Lord, that he's in his holy temple, that he's in you, and that he's also in heaven. And the only way for any to ascend that hill is through Christ Jesus. But second, we must reverence the Lord. The Lord is omniscient. It says that his eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord is omniscient. He sees everyone. He sees what everyone is doing. He weighs everyone's heart and everyone's motives and intentions. In your life, this omniscient searching of your heart down to the bottom of your heart is meant to refine you. God searches you out. He knows you. 
because he wants to refine you. He wants to make you more godly. But for those who don't repent, for the wicked who refuse Christ and refuse the grace of God, it is to confine them in the wickedness they love until judged and condemned in the end. It says that the Lord tests the righteous in verse 5, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. This, this hatred of God is not some kind of capricious, mean-spiritedness in God, but it is God giving people over to their love of iniquity and their love of rebellion. They refuse the grace of God. They refuse the Savior He sent. And so He turns them over to their sin. Which is contrasted, as we just mentioned, with the righteous, who are also tested, but their testing is to make them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is the second time, as you um, see in verse um, 6, it says, Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. This is the second time uh, this combination of fire and sulfur appear in Scripture. The first time, of course, is in reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. And these two cities were given ample time and warning to repent of their sin, but they refused it, and they were destroyed. Destroyed. Excuse me. You do not need to take matters into your own hands. The Lord will judge those who are wicked. And that should bring not only comfort to you, that God's going to take care of those who are against you, but it should also bring an urgency to you that God is going to take care of those who are against him, and they need to be converted. And the only way they will is if you open your mouth and speak the gospel to them and tell them that they need to flee the coming wrath against them, the judgment that's going to come and overcome and overwhelm them. And the reason why the Lord tests you to refine you, and the reason why the Lord tests the wicked to destroy those who refuse him, is because, in verse 7, it says, For the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. He cannot look approvingly upon any kind of evil or sin. And so he aims to judge every sin that's not repented of. And every unrepentant person... And he aims to glorify every person who, by faith, will look outside of themselves and away from themselves to Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, as the only hope and help that they have. You can rely on the Lord 
to be righteous and just. In the middle of verse 7, we are encouraged by implication uh, to be righteous, to resemble the Lord, not only to recognize the Lord and reverence the Lord and rely on the Lord, but to resemble the Lord. It says that the Lord loves righteous deeds, and He loves all who love righteous deeds. And that's a call for you also to love righteous deeds. The Bible tells us in the book of Titus that we are to be zealous for good works. We're to let our light so shine before men that they see our good works and give glory to God our Father in heaven. Christians are people who are supposed to be responsible. They're responding, responding to grace, responding to love, responding to mercy, compelled by the love of Jesus Christ to no longer live for themselves, to no longer live selfishly, but to live for the one who died and was raised again on their behalf. We're called to be a people who respond to grace, respond to love, respond to mercy, respond to lordship, the lordship of Christ. By submitting ourselves to him and to his ways, The goal of you walking in holiness and being devoted to the Lord Jesus, obviously, at the end here, is to rest in the Lord, to rest with the Lord, to behold his face. The psalmist David said later in the, in the Psalter, in chapter 27, he said, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And that's what's promised to the upright here, is to behold the face of God. The Bible says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's the whole aim and goal of life is to be able to be face to face with God, to behold his beauty and to behold his smile and his approving face because of Christ. Truly, this is a psalm of confidence and confident trust in the Lord trust in Christ. The reason there is no place for fleeing in the face of wickedness, there's no place for fearing wicked people, there's no place for forfeiting your hope in Christ and Christ working through you, is because God has made you the light of the world. The only answer to wickedness is the gospel, and the gospel has been given to you. A gospel that you are called to run with and respond to, to shout it from the rooftops, as it were, to pray that God would somehow reflect that beauty through you, that you'd have opportunity and courage 
and strength of soul to be able to humbly, gently, lovingly, yet urgently speak the truth about Jesus Christ to a world dead in transgressions and sins, a wicked world, a dangerous place. But the only way it will ever become more wonderful than it is is when God's people speak in His name for His glory. You are the new temple. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in heaven is the perfect temple, ever living to intercede for you. Jesus rules from heaven over all. He sees you, and he sees everyone who could potentially be against you. And he is using every difficulty to refine you. The worst thing that could ever happen to you will never happen to you. You'll never be condemned by God. The worst thing that could ever happen to you in this life has already happened to you. You were born in sin. But the best thing that could ever happen to you in this life has happened to you and is happening to you. You have been born again, newly created, and you are being incrementally, ever-increasingly conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. Nothing and no one can take these things away from you. Whatever happens to you or against you can only further God's good purposes in Christ for you. The truth of verse 5 and 4, 5 and 6 rather, will never be your lot because Jesus above all others loved to do the righteous deeds given to him by his Father. And perhaps one of the most wonderful things he ever did, given to him by his Father, was to become sin on the cross so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. He not only makes your hearts upright, but guarantees that you will behold his face in righteousness. Like the psalmist said, when you awake, you will be satisfied with his very own likeness. May God bless you.